as you all know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. We just introduced reduced mid-season pricing. You can choose from season-long, four-week, or weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use code SHARP25 for 25% off any product site-wide at sharpfootballanalysis.com. What is going on, Sharp Football family? It is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar. We're here in the week six Sharp Angles Fantasy Football Podcast. Hopefully everyone's sitting on a good fantasy record. You've been hitting the cash lines more than you've been missing them so far. Uh, One of the great things that I always get to do on this podcast is to bring new uh, following, uh, people that I've been following for just a short amount of time in the industry. And, you know, I've started following, uh, this person last year and I've been really enjoying all the work he's kind of put out so far. Uh, really don't regret this follow at all. Uh, it is Sam Hoppin from four for four football. He is, he works the ship chasing boys, uh, good friends of mine, you know, Pete and Pat, uh, Gretch is involved a little bit over there too, who was on a couple weeks ago. You're doing visuals for established the run uh, Sam, what is going on, brother? Rich, thanks for having me on. It is uh, very humbling to to be on the podcast with you. I remember reading all your worksheet stuff several years ago, and and now to be on a podcast with you is is pretty surreal. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Worksheet's still going. Uh, you know, that's up. It grows every year. It's turned into to quite of a, a, a an expansion. Some people still like long long written content. Not many still, but some do. Uh, so I'm glad to hang on to that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to roll into it here, I mean, you are uh, a man, if you follow Sam on Twitter, you know, he's he's always tweeting out, you know, visuals and charts. Uh, you also do kind of, a, you know, a weekly rundown of, of a lot of the charts you make over on the ship chasing feed on YouTube. Uh, you do a weekly article called Hopping to Conclusions, which, you know, got to respect that using the surname, uh, oh, yeah. you know, so we're going to dive into kind of, you know, a bunch of those and spin them, you know, kind of into a conversation that we'll have. But first, you know, I just want to like just kind of get to know you a little bit more first, man. Like, if you could just kind of like share your background, what you, uh, you know, what you did up until this point, you know, what made you want to get into fantasy football, uh, and, you know, kind of what has opened this door, uh, fantasy football, you know, content creation for you. Yeah. So I, I started my own blog, I think back in the beginning of 2019. And just sort of was doing it just to have fun. I liked football. I liked watching it and writing about it. And then got my first opportunity writing for number fire back in, in later that season in 2019. And then at the beginning of 2020 was sort of at a crossroads with my sort of overall career and had drawn a big interest in sort of analytics, programming, coding, all that, all that nerdy stuff and had followed a bunch of people who were doing sort of just general NFL football charts and realized there wasn't a lot, there weren't a lot of people doing that in the fantasy space specifically. And one piece of advice that I had heard, I don't remember who I heard it from, but their advice in getting into this space is to find a niche, find something that Mm -hmm. you do really well that nobody else does really well. And and obviously there are guys like, like Hayden Winks is, is fantastic at all the charts and stuff that he does, but there wasn't really a huge market out there. And so just sort of took that leap to teach myself some coding and figure out how to, to make these charts and then parlayed that into doing the stuff for, for four, for four and, 
and the ship chasing guys. And it's uh, the rest they say is, is history. So it's been, it's been a fun space to get into and, and have really enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, I think the way that the, the propulsion of, you know, Twitter has made it just so easy to digest, you know, if you can get a quick graph out there, a quick chart, people love that stuff, you know, they're going to eat that up and it's going to get some circulation and some traffic, uh, just a real quick, dirty visual. I always joke. I say I was the, the DVD of fantasy analysts. I came after the VCR, but we were quickly replaced by guys like you and Winks. Uh, you know, the, the Blu-rays came out and everyone's streaming now. Uh, I'm going to have to get, I, I've told myself like two years in a row, like I'm going to, you know, get learn R in the off season. And then when the off season comes, I just go right back to work and I never uh, take the time, but I, I've got to get on board here. But the, the, those charts, like you mentioned, I mean, you're, if you follow Sam, you'll see a bunch of those. And if you follow the the ship chasing YouTube, uh, you'll see a bunch of those. So we're going to get into some of those. Uh, the one that you always kind of always start off with is like, you know, an efficiency model or points over expectation and, and, you know, based on workloads and what we have to start this fantasy season is one running back injuries are still pretty prominent. it seems like we're losing a running back a week now. Uh, and we Not lost fun. a couple, lost a couple again this week. Uh, so it's continuing to happen. And listen, I have a bunch of anchor R teams, anchor RB teams that haven't performed the task. These wide receivers that are invested in like Chris Godwin and T Higgins and Calvin Ridley haven't always hit, but I still believe that those teams have a lot more outs big picture than the teams that swung on these mid round running backs and lost them due to injury uh, at this point. So we'll see how it shakes out, but we still have a, a number of running backs that haven't gotten hurt, but then they're also involved in these backfield, you know, compartmentalization roles. Um, and we have some guys kind of roadblocking these guys from jumping up to be even these elite alpha backs that we want to carry some of these uh, anchor RB teams or zero RB teams or just our, our teams that have multiple running backs. We just need the running back production. Uh, so we'll talk about some of the trends that have been going on with some of these split backfields going on. The first one I want to talk about is uh, what's been going on uh, with the Green Bay Packers. You know, a lot of people, Elevated Aaron Jones up to a top five running back, uh, you know, rivaling you guys like Alvin Kamara. We've seen him come out the first couple of weeks and had that role, you know, getting almost 80% of the backfield touches. And now we're starting to see a little more AJ Dillon. So uh, break down a little bit of the numbers here. What, what we're starting to see here at this Packers backfield. So I have been pretty adamant this whole, through the off season, I guess through this season too, that AJ Dillon is purely a handcuff for, Aaron Jones and doesn't have the room to sort of grow into being a one B in that offense, but it's the second straight game this past week that Jones, excuse me, that Dylan has had double digit opportunities after not being above 30% of the snaps for each of the first three weeks, he's been at 40% and 33% of snaps the past two weeks. So in that respect, his workload is growing and another thing, so you, we talked about Ben Gretsch and his high value touches that he talks about in week five. It was the first time that Dylan had more high value touches than Aaron Jones. He had the only two green zone touches as well, which are touches inside the opponent's 10 yard line. He had the only two of those among the two running backs this past week. So he is starting to get more work than he had in the past. I think, you know, we were talking about Evan Silva before the show, and he mentioned on one of his podcasts that it was sort of like a the Cowboys backfield in a sense. And I, I just want to say that I mentioned that first on, on Stat Chasing this week. So, um, but it, it it is a very similar situation because you've got Jones who has 
the large majority of the opportunities that he's getting, clearly the first running back option in that backfield. And Dylan is sort of starting to creep into it like Pollard is for the Cowboys. Now, I don't think that Dylan is quite on the level of Pollard yet because Pollard's getting a lot more receiving work when he's on the field that makes him a flex option, but it's, it's certainly not looking as good for Aaron Jones as it had in the past. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting spot right now because they said we're, 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 we're running short on these alpha running backs and these guys that could really kind of be our Gibraltars. And, you know, Aaron Jones is the guy we were counting on that. The, the route participation is still there for him. But like you said, we've kind of always counted Aaron Jones in the years past. If he's going to concede touches, he was still the guy, the foxhole guy in the red zone. We right. talk about those, those, those high value touches. And that was always one of kind of the lingering aspects was does, is there incentive to use a back with the arc, the archetype, the physical archetype that AJ Dillon is uh, near the goal line. And so it's something to stick a pin into definitely going forward uh, with Aaron Jones. And hopefully we still can, can, he can still kind of maintain being an elite RB one instead of, you know, kind of a floor based RB one one, two guys that are actually kind of simultaneously coexisting are Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt. And it is kind of, off to an interesting start this season. Kareem Hunt is on a, a, a ridiculous heater right now uh, the past you know few weeks. I mean, he's cu- currently the RB6 now in overall scoring, and Nick Chubb has had 20-plus carries the past three weeks. Um, what do you see big picture here, though, based on the usage we've seen at the Browns running back so far? On um, Is this one kind of sustainable? And then and, and if not, like who would be your lean here on like a guy, the, the one you would want to roster more rest of the season? So I think they both can sustain the production that they've had because we've often known that the Browns want to be a run first team. The weapons that they have in the passing game are not either not healthy or not very good, but it is, I think more of a split back field than people think. I mean, Chubb hasn't played on more than 60% of the team snaps in a single game and hunt hasn't been below 45% in a single game this season. So it is very nearly split in that regard where Nick Chubb has the slight edge is in the red zone. Like we, we just talked about with the Packers, he has a 60% snap share in the red zone and is getting an average of two of those green zone touches per game. Hunt is down at a 36% snap share in the red zone, which isn't terrible, but he's only getting 1.2 green zone touches per game. So when they get in close, Hunt is going to seed some of those opportunities, but Chubb appears to be the, the main guy there. They're both averaging over 15 opportunities per game, which just one of them doing that would be impressive. But the fact that both of them are is, is pretty insane. So I think they can both it's tough. Like they're both probably fringe running back ones, high end RB twos, the rest of the season. And you're not going to bench either one of them at this point, just because the other one is sort of a thorn in, in the side. So I think long-term they will struggle to hit their season long ceiling, but on a week to week basis, either one of them or both of them even could go off in a given week. 
Yeah, that's the thing with the Browns is the ceiling, right? And that's the Nick Chubb problem. The, the Nick Chubb detractors will point to the receptions, and the, it's been a problem so far this season. Uh, you know what? He's 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 only got he's only sitting on thirty five receiving yards on the season, five catches through five weeks. But you know, you get those fifty yard touchdowns, and it's not just a small sample of him doing it. He's kind of like you know Derrick Henry in that regard, where he gets short yard touchdowns and is a, for his archetype gets these long touchdown runs. You know, obviously he's the right. first back in NFL history to have over five yards per carry on 150 or more carries to start his career the first three years. The hunt is very interesting right now uh, because he actually has a fewer percentage of his team's backfield touches than Cordero Patterson, a guy, everyone, every fantasy analyst is telling you to go out and dump that this isn't sustainable. Right. Yeah. The one thing about the Browns right now too, is we're five games in they've scored 16 offensive touchdowns. And only four have been passing. That's the they have 75% of offensive touchdowns are rushing. It's the highest rate in the league. That the NFL average is 62% passing touchdowns. Last year the Browns were at 56% passing touchdowns. So I mean, there is gonna be some oscillation here where some of these touchdowns the Browns are scoring, and they're scoring plenty of them, right. uh, are going to shift. Like Baker Mayfield's gonna start throwing touchdown passes. I don't know if that's gonna help. Your Odell Beckham shares. Uh, we, we, we would love for it too one day, uh, but we're going to see some reduction in Brown's, you know, overall running back touch, uh, touchdowns. And, you know, maybe the guy, like you said, based on the opportunities that you laid out in the green zone and the red zone uh, shows that, you know, Hunt's run a little bit hot in touchdown production so far to start the year. Um, something that kind of earmarked that his floor might be a little bit lower than where Chubbs can fall to. And I, I think, think one of the thing that, doesn't get brought up at least hasn't been brought up that much so far this season is Demetric Felton, who's sort of a hybrid mm -hmm. running back wide receiver. He has 35% of the running back receptions this year compared to just 18% for Chubb. So hunt is up at 61%, but typically you'd see that a little bit higher for, for hunt. And he's sort of cutting into both of their opportunities from that perspective and probably lowering their their weekly ceiling a little bit yeah like you said it's it, the, the tough thing is is that you're just hard to, you're not going to ever want bench one of these guys because you're never going to get it right you know you're gonna right. they're gonna have more good weeks than not and you're just never going to get it right on the week to fade them really yeah <laughs> it's gonna be tricky um one other backfield that's getting kind of it's not tricky in a sense because we're just playing deandre swift regardless like you said uh because we're taking the spike weeks in but there is kind of a a thorn here with Jamal Williams is preventing DeAndre Swift from being one of these elite backs. He should be like Austin Eckler right now. And we can't get there quite all the way because Jamal Williams is still, no matter what Dan Campbell said a couple weeks ago, we're still seeing a little bit more Jamal Williams than we like. Uh, so kind of dive into the, 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 the Detroit backfield and what's really preventing us from really getting uh, Swifty with it. So, yeah, you mentioned that Jamal Williams is the thorn. I think Dan Campbell is the bigger, bigger thorn at this point because he <laughs> promised more touches for DeAndre Swift. And over the last two weeks, I think Swift has like three more opportunities total. Uh, and it's just it's very frustrating. But Swift, in my opinion, is a is a running back one right now because he's getting enough work and he's being efficient with it. I think it's just like you said, he could be a top three or five running back option, if not for Jamal Williams. And Swift has been running 62% of the routes uh, per drop back this season, which is among the top five in running backs. And Williams is actually down at 23%. And I think there's sort of this thing where 
every time Williams is on the field, it seems like he's getting an opportunity and it's frustrating because you want that to be Swift, but he's just on the field more. Swift is currently leading the league in high value touches, which is really what has helped him hit this ceiling. The frustrating part is what's going on in the green zone, the red zone, when they get close to scoring, except for week five, Williams has had at least one green zone touch in every single game. And he had three of them in week four. So on the season, Swift only has three more green zone touches than Williams. But like I said, he's leading the league overall in high value touches with an average of 7.2 per game and has at least five of them in every single game this season. So it's one of those scenarios where, I mean, you drafted him below Aaron Jones and Nick Chubb, who we were Mm -hmm. talking about before, and he is sort of now in that category and he could jump them if not for again, Jamal Williams, but for right now, he, he is there. So you just sort of got to take the punches as they come in and hope that Dan Campbell actually speaks some truth going forward. Yeah. And I think that when you look at the Detroit situation and the green Bay situation, both guys, AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones and DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, those guys are like supreme injury elevation guys. Like if something were to happen to the other guy in those backfields, whereas Chubb probably doesn't, it doesn't probably change a lot if Kareem Hunt misses because you said maybe Felton just runs more pass routes uh, and, you know, it doesn't give him the full acceleration like it would for one of these guys. I mean, you know, if if AJ Dillon were to be out, Aaron Jones does become the, the entity that we saw weeks two and three if Jamal Williams were to miss some time, say, I think DeAndre Swift moves into CMC Eckler territory. Yeah. Like these that, you know, and you have basically a guy that's a set and forget almost RB one weekly score right now. Swift has just 48.6% of the Detroit backfield touches. The only backs with a lower rate in the top 15 of scoring right now are Cordell Patterson and Kareem Hunt. You know, we just talked about 66% of his points right now are from receiving only. Uh, only Cordell Patterson is more at 77%. So we need this kind of thorn to kind of, it, it doesn't hurt him. Like I said, we don't need him. We're still going to play DeAndre Swift, but we want the rocket ship, right? Like we want to win fantasy titles. And DeAndre Swift has the profile and is right on the cusp of the usage of winning leagues for people. And we just need that one last domino to fall uh, for him. <laughs> and something I saw on Twitter this week, someone pointed out that it's almost a good thing that and I don't know if I believe this, but it's it's almost a good thing that Jamal Williams is getting a lot of these carries sort of in in the dead zone. But so between the 20s yeah. and it's not taking as much of a toll on DeAndre Swift's body, which I think is galaxy braining it a little bit too much because an opportunity is an opportunity like Swift is explosive enough where he could take a carry from the 40 yard line to the end zone. So maybe in that respect, he's staying healthy and is getting more opportunities that way. But he Swift certainly has the best receiving profile of, of the two. And it's, it's honestly just the rushing that he needs to get. So it's, it's a little bit of the opposite from, from Nick Chubb. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny how that works. And then uh, one last backfield I'll touch on. They are on by this week, but I'll let you drive the the nail in the coffin for uh, Trey Sermon hopefuls uh, of what went down in San Francisco last weekend. It's it's so 
weird how they've treated the guys that they have invested draft capital into <laughs> this offseason. Like they traded up for Trey Lance with multiple first round picks and don't want to commit to him as the starter. They traded up for Trey Sermon. And in the three games that and Elijah I, Mitchell has been active, he Sermon's been a healthy and active for one, and he's played three snaps across the other two games, which is just bizarre. And I think heading, like you said, they're heading into their buy. So I wouldn't fault people for dropping Sermon because at this point, he just sort of seems like a, a roster clogger. Elijah Mitchell has earned a commanding 75% of the running back touches in the games that he's been healthy. He's averaging 15 carries per game. He doesn't have the receiving work, but really nobody in that 49ers backfield is getting it. Hasty had gotten some of that work, but it honestly seems like Kyle Juszczyk is their primary mm-hmm. receiving back. And I don't think anybody's going to to roster him in, in fantasy points, probably just because the, the fullback tag that he has to him. I think the other thing I'd mentioned with this backfield, I've gotten a couple questions this week as to whether people should hold on to Jeff Wilson, because they, you know, again, they haven't really committed to one guy outside of a Mitchell, but it sounds like he's unlikely to return before week 11 at this point. And there is so much that could change over the next six plus weeks. And who knows? I think week 11 is probably a best case scenario at this, this point. So if you have an IR spot and nobody else to put in there, then maybe he's worth holding on to. But if, if someone else is worth putting in there and it's only going to be out for a week or two, then I certainly wouldn't have any any issues not holding on to him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw that Elijah Mitchell was actually released in a, a, you know, a couple of leagues, you know, after, you know, the, the, the debacle of him, you know, right. getting hurt right away. And then people thinking like, well, it's just going to be a split. And it wasn't a split. And then, yeah, it's the same advice I've had for Jeff Wilson as well. Is like, if you have a free IR, IR spot, do it, but don't expect like, we can't expect Jeff Wilson to come back and be some kind of, you know, entity to come back and win leagues for us. Right. When, when we look at Jeff Wilson's career, he's also only ever been good when everyone else was out of the way. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's really hard. It's, it, you know, is it a frustrating backfield? Does it potentially be sure? But there still is there still is you know some upside I still think with Elijah Mitchell with the role he has and he can only he can still further distance himself but yeah what's funny is that they traded up for Ayuk too right like I believe Ayuk was a pick they traded up for as well and look how they're treating him this this yeah. season as well so yeah it, you know it's, it's Shanahan the GM uh, aspect is it's not gone so so well here um, but yeah let's let's walk into another one of my favorite charts that you always tweet out and talk about uh, on the show is, uh, you know, t- the concentration of targets for a team, basically looking at the top three targets of a team and how much of the passing pie those guys occupy, uh, you know, yeah. g- kind of go over that, just the, 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 the importance and kind of relevancy of kind of seeing, uh, you know, where we know, because from a DFS angle, I think it's, it's a really great chart. Yeah. And that's the primary, I think, goal with it is from a DFS perspective, because again, you're trying to to pick the guys that are, going to be used the much as much as possible the chart itself is looking at the combined target share for each of the top three players on that team based on their target share so there is a little bit of skewing that goes on when you have a guy like Devonte adams like he pushes the packers up so high just because he's got like a 37 target share and the other two guys are at like sub 10 percent 
And there's also a fine balance because a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a fairly low concentration among the top three players, but they throw the ball so much that it doesn't really matter. Like they're still, you know, if you look at the raw numbers, they're all still averaging eight plus targets per game. So what we're trying to do there is like you said, when, you know, a big thing in DFS is building, building stacks and trying to find the guys that the quarterbacks are going to be targeting most heavily in those games. And if we can focus in on, a wide receiver. I mean, the, the tight ends and running backs are included in there as well. So if we can find an offense where the opportunities are as concentrated as possible, that makes it a little bit easier to hopefully identify some teams with, with upside. Yeah. I like that. One of the teams that is really high from a target concentration share is uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we're now removing removing Juju Smith Schuster from the uh, you know equation so now do we expect anyone to kind of fill Juju's role how do we how do you see you know the the Steelers kind of combating the loss of Juju and is it really just going to provide more now of a of a rocket ship scenario for Chase Claypool uh to just kind of take the next step further like we kind of were hoping anyways so on Sunday, if I remember correctly, Ray Ray McLeod was the guy who took the slot snaps when Juju left the game. There's also James Washington, who was not active for their week five game, who had seen, I believe, five targets in every single game before that. But like you mentioned, the, this is one of the most concentrated passing attacks with Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and then Najee Harris as the third guy. So I think that this offense just gets more concentrated around those three guys and the fringe James Washington, Raymond McLeod might have a spike week here and there, but I would be focusing more on Johnson and Claypool. They're nearly identical in a bunch of stats. Chase Claypool has a 0.6 weighted opportunity rating, which weights air yards share and market share. Deontay Johnson's at 0.62. So they're dead even. The weird thing with Johnson this past week is he had a ridiculous stretch of games with like double digit targets mm-hmm. and then had just two on Sunday. Granted, Hall went in for a long touchdown, so he didn't he didn't ruin your day fantasy-wise, but he's run around on 96% of the dropbacks uh on Sunday, which was his second highest rate of the season. He just didn't get targeted in that game. And Claypool on the season had as a 23% target share that was a little bit boosted by the, the 15 target game that he had in week three, but they all count the same. He leads the team in air yards share at 40%. So my hope and my expectation is that it just remains sort of those two guys, you know, maybe a, a Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf type scenario where it's really just those two guys and then the other fringe players are not really fantasy relevant. So I'm not, I know we're past waivers at this point, but I wouldn't be going out trying to acquire these, these other guys on the hope that they'll slot immediately into Juju's role. Yeah. 8% target share. It was the lowest for Deontay in a game since his rookie season. I like that you brought up the, the Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf kind of corollary, because that's kind of the one 
thing that I think is kind of a, a worry for Deontay. Johnson. I don't want to say worry is probably the wrong word. Like he's going to still get a lot of targets this season, but anytime you have where you're competing with targets for, you know, with guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and Claypool where they're eating from each other, but now you just elevate Claypool. Teams tend to glom onto the Claypool archetype a little bit more. We've seen this happen with DK and Tyler Lockett over the past year and a half. So with it being kind of a three-way pie cut the two, I could see a scenario where Claypool ends up being more of like an alpha type in the offense because of the vertical targets, the red zone targets, because just being a natural team tend to throw the ball to guys that look like Chase Claypool is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, so it is something to kind of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just kind of earmark and watch at Deontay Johnson moving forward and see if maybe we, cause we see, we're seeing this a little bit too with the chargers with Keenan Allen. Now that Mike Williams yep. has elevated into like this, cause you have a player like that. And you have a player like Keenan Allen who's never really played alongside a player like that in his career, and although he has played with Mike Williams for the last three years, but it wasn't this right. version of Mike Williams. Oh. Uh, but when you have a guy that can win vertically, win contested catches, and win in the red zone, and then you start tacking on pass volume to that, it makes these guys that win inside and win near the line of scrimmage uh, have to work harder for value and get a lot more value. So that's just one thing to kind of mark if you do have Deontay Johnson um, with the hot start, to just kind of see if it maybe gives him a little bit of a, a lower floor or, or added volatility, I should say. He's been such a PPR Gibraltar uh, right. for so long, uh, but makes it like a not fully on like Tyler Lockett, but just adds a little more volatility to his performance. A team that's at the bottom of that chart that's had a shakeup this week and with an injury and then kind of just getting their full kind of arsenal back, but not fully because we're still going to have Kenny Galladay as the Giants because this Katerius Tony performance in the last few weeks, a player they invested first round draft capital into, he's almost too good to put back in the bottle now. Like you, right. you, you've already opened too much stuff up two weeks ago. He basically ran exclusively in the slot last week. Gallaudet gets injured. They give him more work outside. Uh, he only had 39 of, of his yards coming from the slot. Now we get Sterling Shepard back this week, who after golden Tate left, moved back in the slot and was flourishing. I mean, Sterling Shepard was out of the gates like Deontay Johnson, like he's eating targets up. Uh, we're going to get him back in Darius Slate. How do you see this giants, you know, kind of wide receiver core, kind of building out and remove the the one game sample we might get from Mike Glennon, although Daniel Jones is practicing, but just big picture. How do we think that the deployment of these wide receivers from the giants is going to work out? And uh, is it going to cannibalize these guys? Uh, who are we still in on? I think it most certainly will cannibalize for sure. I mean, you didn't mention Evan Ingram, who is mm-hmm. getting back into the swing of things in the lineup after missing the first couple of games it's tough because I mean, I don't even know who's going to be starting for this team on Sunday. I mean, Shepard Slayton and Tony were all limited in practice yesterday on Wednesday. John Ross is now becoming a thing again. Uh, apparently Tony does have the highest targets per out run on the team at 0.29. So I think I'd lean on him to be probably rest of season, the best bet. I know I've never been a big Kenny Galladay guy. I just think, that his efficiency was a little bit too much to sustain. He's always dealt with injuries, but Kadarius Tony just nobody in I know in dynasty circles were interested in him whatsoever. His prospect profile was just not great. He was just a return specialist, from what I remember, and he's their best playmaker right now, especially with Saquon Barkley. So, to your point, I think with what he's shown. 
he was going up against one of the defensive player of the year candidates last week and was playing well against him. He was making moves. He was catching the ball. Tony's been at a 70% route rate the last couple of weeks. He dropped down to, to 60% in week five. So I don't really understand what that is. It might've been um, some injury stuff as well, but Shepard coming back, I think is probably the biggest threat to him in his role. If Tony does play on the outside that I think unlocks his ceiling, but it's, I, I don't want to start any of them if possible. And the matchup against the Rams this week might force them into more passing situations, but it's, I, I don't, I'm not going to buy into rational coaching with Joe judge <laughs> and expecting him to give his best playmaker of the ball uh, more than, more than he needs to yeah, double down with Jason Garrett. Yeah. I think that this really just hurts like any hope you probably would have big picture for Kenny Galladay the most, you know, there was yeah. always that kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of a lingering aspect of saying, all right, well, they paid him all this money. He can still get targets. He's the, he's the vertical target and can win in the red zone. And now you're just adding another element to take away targets from him. And he's obviously dealing with another injury. So, I mean, I think it really just really dampens the outlook of really having any like kind of little bit of positive optics for, for Kenny Galladay yeah. moving forward. Um, you hope Shepard can come back and get that target share that he had, but yeah, obviously that's compromised as well. Uh, Tony's interesting because he wasn't a guy that I love from an objective profile stance, but I always kept saying that the, la the last game he played against Alabama was just like, he was so amazing in that game that it was just like, all right, I'm going to at least hold on to some of this because he would go consistently in the second round for a first round pick. And it's not even that yeah. I loved him, but I just kept drafting him because he was there. And I was like, oh, I'll hang on to this one aspect and hopefully it works out. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I did like a, a lot of guys, a lot more like Elijah Moore and Terrace Marshall. And right. he's already off to a better start and opportunity yeah. uh, than both of those players. Uh, you have to be pretty excited if you grabbed him in the second round of your fantasy drafts, even if it ends up being a situation where he doesn't turn like a league winner the rest of this year, you've already at least seen a glimpse of what he could offer and it yeah. looks pretty dynamic yeah. <laughs> so you feel and good it, about it and hopefully to, to my point hopefully the coaching staff has seen like okay this this guy can do these things like he's certainly good enough to compete at this level and like you said they invested first round draft capital into him hopefully they don't take the 49ers out and just totally exclude him from the play the the game plan but he's shown enough. He's had nine and 13 targets over the last two weeks. So he's getting an opportunity. It's just a matter of when all of these weapons are healthy, if he can maintain that workload. All right. So one of the other uh, charts, you know, and this is something that like a lot of people have really, you know, it's picked up steam in the past couple of years of not just fantasy circles, but even that gets circulation for, you know, real football, you know, yep. the threads is, you know, the pass rate over expectation charts, you know, it used to be people just look at, you know, uh, all of our overall run and pass rates and you know you've kind of taken this a step further uh with these charts so just kind of just explain what it is to everybody I'll, you know it's kind of self-explanatory but go ahead and dive into it and then uh we'll talk about some of the teams that are standing out from a positive and negative stance and uh, some of the fantasy situations around those teams so with the play-by-play -play data that i use to generate a, a lot of the charts that i put out they have an expected pass column in there and it looks at the down the distance 
the score of the game, the time left to determine, you know, based on historical stuff, whether you would expect a team to be passing the ball in that situation or not. So on a third and 20, that would most certainly be an expected pass situation, but on a second and two, that might not necessarily be the case. So what pass rate over expectation looks at is how often are teams passing the ball more than they would expect to based on those situations. So you have teams like the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the top who are leading the league. I mean, everyone knows that they're passing the ball so much, but they're, they're also doing it. We saw last week at the game against the Dolphins when they're up big and they continue to pass the ball. They're not just trying to run the clock out to you know, slow the game down and just get away with a win. They're continuing to pass it when they're not forced to pass it, which I think is, is another really good way of putting it on the positive side of things. And the teams that have surprised me are the dolphins who have a really high pass rate over expectation, the Eagles who, again, they entered the season with Jalen hurts and everyone sort of notched them into while well, they're going to run the ball because they have a rushing quarterback to follow the sort of Ravens game plan of using their, their dual threat quarterback, but they've been passing the ball quite a bit, which, which makes this Thursday night football matchup even more exciting. And then the Raiders. Now we'll see how that changes with all of the flux that they've had in their uh, office this, this past week. But then on the negative side, you have the saints who have just completely fallen off a cliff. And I understand that Jameis Winston is not Drew Brees, but Jameis Winston is also not like the worst quarterback in the league. And I'm sure it has something to do with the weapons that they have available. And maybe that changes when Michael Thomas comes back. I'm not even sure when that's expected to be to happen at this point, but they are just running the ball a ton, which is what has changed Alvin Kamara's role so much as well. And then the last team that started out really hot are the Dallas Cowboys. And they have been a very interesting scenario because they, they started off the season throwing the ball 58 times against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And everyone was gushing over the how carnival. much they were the throwing back. it. <laughs> and they were just, everyone was losing their mind being so excited that they were going to focus on the pass passing game. Since then, I'm pretty sure they haven't thrown the ball more than 30 times in a game. And the positive for them is they've been super efficient passing the ball. And I think from a, again, from a fantasy perspective, Amari Cooper and CD Lamb and now Dalton Schultz are more, have some slightly more concentrated targets and Zeke and Pollard get their, their fair share as well. But it seems like, Mike McCarthy is content on running the ball when and not passing unless they they truly have to. And and there was a quote, I believe, I don't know if it might have been during the game, actually, at halftime of the Bucks game where someone had asked McCarthy about the fact that they've thrown the ball. And he's like, yeah, we're just sort of taking what we've been given. And we know that the Bucks run defense is so good. So we're just going to pass the ball. And it looks like that high pass rate was more of an aberration and not what is going to hold throughout the rest of the season too. And their defense has been playing well enough to 
keep not only keep them in games, but keep them ahead in games so that they can run the ball down the stretch. So I'm a little bit worried as to what happens to this offense when Michael Gallup does return and they start trying to get him more targets as well, but it's, it's not fun anymore. (laughs) It's less fun, even though they're, they're still producing lamb and and Cooper have both had some, some dud games over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, you look at the Cowboys the last month, they're averaging, you know, 26.8 pass attempts per game. Uh, And like you said, it's, it's not just uh, pure game script. Like they've lean run heavy and it's, and we need one of these teams to punch back against them is also the problem. Like they're, they're getting in these game environments now where they're so hyper-efficient that they're beating these teams because they're getting so many turnovers on defense too, which also skewed into this Uh, that they're, they're not really being pressed on the scoreboard and it's kind of really dampened everything. I mean, Dak has the last three weeks and a a touchdown rate of 11.3%. Like we can't count on that. I mean, mean, we've run into a couple hot seasons in the touchdown rate department from teams that don't throw a lot. Like Russell Wilson had a couple hot years like this, but like Dak can't throw touchdowns at this level. So like if the passing volume doesn't change, like even he's going to have a, a little bit of regression. Uh, and then you look at this upcoming schedule. I mean, they have the Patriots this week, then they have a bye, then they have the Vikings, the Broncos and the Falcons. Like who is punching back on them uh, out, of, out of this? Like, when do we get out of this? So we might be into week 11 when they face, finally face the chiefs of saying like, yeah, we can rely on targets for these wide receivers. I mean, Dalton Schultz has kind of a, a, a wonky target share compared to the two guys in Cooper and lamb that we believe won't be sustainable. Like I doubt that he's just going to double up targets for Cooper and lamb over the full course of the season based on just the, the talent gap. Oh yeah. We really hope not based on the talent gap, but also with these Cowboys receivers that were basically fringe wide receiver ones, they just don't, have, they're not going to run into the prerequisite target volume as their peers in that, yeah. in that ADP, which is going to be hard to rank them up. You know, everyone's keep, you know, from a weekly perspective of saying, well, now's the week to go back to, it's the week to go back to land. He's cheap. It's the week back, but you got to now turn six targets into an alpha game. And it's really hard to do that consistently. Um, And like I said, looking at that schedule, we might have to just recalibrate with, with those wide receivers uh, for the upcoming stretch and not just yeah. be, have it be a blip. Although, like I said, I, I do believe Dalton Schultz will start conceding some target share to those guys just because of the talent. But you're, and you said you throw Gallup in now. Gallup comes back and it's just another yeah. guy uh, for those. So your CD Lamb. I mean, I I would hate to say like, you know, hey, now's the time to to move on an elite talent like CD Lamb. But I think there still is hope based on how Dak has played that you can still really get uh, a lot of dollar for dollar dollar value for CD yeah. lamb. And um, as great as I, as much of a CD lamb truther, I am. Uh, I don't think that is uh, the wrong time to make that move. Uh, you know, while we right. Still and it's, it's one of those things where it's such a, a tough situation because all of the signs point to again, lamb and, and Cooper being sell highs because they have produced despite all of the things that we've just talked about. But if for some reason things do shift back, then you are just in a bad spot because these guys can be both be top 12 wide receivers. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very tricky. Something to diagnose. You have to make a stand on it. If you're, you know, a fantasy gamer, you either go down with the ship now, right? Because if you say, all right, I'm just going to ride this out. I'm going to fight through it. Hopefully it swings back. And then, like we said, those teams don't punch back on the Cowboys. And now we're in week 10 
and those guys haven't gotten the targets, you are not getting the same value then yeah. that you still can potentially get now. I think Lamb more is more enticing to uh, the all-encompassing gamers than Cooper is at this point because all the injuries Cooper's dealt with, but still, yeah. you know, same same kind of bucket. Uh, the first team you talked about that led that all off was the Buccaneers, and I've gotten a lot of questions this week on what to do with Chris Godwin. I keep telling people just – you, you tell the line, man, like you have to just keep playing these guys every week. It's going to be oscillation there. I got caught in, in DFS last week. My Brady stacks all had Chris Godwin. I thought it was a supreme spot for Chris Godwin. He led the team with 11 targets. I'm going to tell myself the process was right, but my bank account says that it was wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I keep telling people to just tell you have to ride this out with Chris Godwin. I, I've seen a lot of people say, what do I do with him? It's frustrating, but the Bucks are passing so much and everyone's so good that we're just going to run into stretches like this. Especially with Gronkowski out, that should hopefully funnel again some more targets to Chris Godwin. I mean, Chris Godwin is not having a bad season by any stretch. Like I think he's averaging about 16 PPR points per game, which is, it's not bad. It's certainly not what you would have hoped with a fourth round player that you drafted, but it's just, I think it's because he's not scoring as much as these other guys on the team and they are passing the ball so much. I, I would not, I wouldn't worry about Godwin either. It's, it, there are going to be weeks, like you mentioned, that just two of the guys are going to hit, but there are also going to be weeks that all three of them hit as well. So you're, you're definitely still starting all three of them, no matter what. Uh, one team you didn't mention from just a season-long perspective, uh, is the Bengals who started off completely different than they did a year ago. And then it started to swing back a little bit the last two weeks, but now they face, you know, the lions and then the jets after this, uh, what do we, and, and Mixon was hurt last week too. So what do we think about the Bengals big picture? Cause it's a team that we thought also was going to be a carnival ride in a sense too, uh, using three wide receiver sets, throwing the ball over the place. They could maybe even be a Cowboys light, you know, kind of team entering drafts. And we've really just seen, really Jamar Chase dominate and we'll talk about Jamar Chase too, but uh, what, what do we think about the Bengals big picture in the, in the ride we're going to have with these receivers and should we recalibrate basically, basically on all these guys right now? So week five was the first time that they had a positive pass rate over expectation. It was like a half a percent over expectation. So it <laughs> really wasn't, it wasn't that much. I think they were at like negative half percent the week before. So they've been right at about, expectation the last two weeks but if you I was thinking about this earlier like if you think of pass rate over expectation over expectate like over what we expected their pass rate over expectation <laughs> to be like they are significantly down like we everyone expected them to be probably in the top 10 per uh of the league going into the season and they just have not been that where and, and you mentioned the schedule they put the Lions next week and then the Ravens the Jets and the Browns so there's a chance that they that they aren't forced to to pass the ball. I think the Ravens and Browns, obviously, the the two teams that give them the biggest chance to force them to pass the ball. And the other thing, similar to the Cowboys, is it's working for them. So there's no no there hasn't really been an incentive for them to change from their low pass rate expectation. The positive is that this is the most concentrated offense from a passing perspective by a wide margin. It is Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, and that is it. 
like the combined target share for those three guys is at or above 80%. So they're very simple. They're the exact opposite of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where they're a low passing offense, but have such a high concentration that the raw numbers are almost fairly similar between the two wide receiver groups. And Joe Burrow did throw it, I believe, 38 times this past week, which was the most that he had thrown it all season. Maybe if Joe Mixon is out a little bit longer, too, or that injury gets re-aggravated, then they pass the ball a little bit more. But I'm still holding out hope. It's trending in the right direction. I certainly believe a little bit more in this offense passing the ball a little bit more than I think the Cowboys offense. And if that pass rate does shoot up, then all these, all three of these receivers are going to benefit greatly because I don't see that concentration changing much if, if they do start passing more. I saw. So one guy, we won't get in the weeds on like specific players, like performing over expectation, but I just want to get your top down thoughts. We're five weeks into the season. How are you handling guys five weeks in that are way above uh, points over expectation or way below points over expectation because it piggybacks off of like Jamar Chase. You know, Jamar Chase is one of these guys that has just run extremely hot, but also is on the other token is say like this guy's just played five career games and it's already performing at this level. So just from a top-down stance, like just how do you approach uh, these guys that have really, really underperformed and really overperformed from a sense of you have them on your rosters or looking to acquire them, just whatever, wherever you want to take it. So expected fantasy points is, again, something that I use to sort of, sort of measure usage and how players are, are getting used, whether they're getting the high-value opportunity, stuff like that. And fantasy points over expectation is, again, based on the expected fantasy points we would expect them to get, how many more or less points is he scoring? And Jamar Chase currently leads all players in fantasy football at 7.6 fantasy points over expectation per game. So he is just breaking every single model, but he's second on the team in target share. He's blowing the team away with a 48% air yard share. He's still running a route on 96% of dropbacks. So he's one of those situations where all of the peripheral metrics sort of line up with him, not necessarily continuing on this stretch that he's had, but not just totally cratering when the efficiency isn't there. Another guy on the flip side, and we've talked about the Bucks a little bit, but Antonio Brown is also very high up there in fantasy mm-hmm. points over expectation, but he's only running a route on 65% of dropbacks. He is averaging four fantasy points over expectation per game. So I think if you think about those two, Antonio Brown is more clearly the sell, in my opinion. He is averaging over 100 air yards per game, which is also really good. But because of that sort of underlying usage and not being on the field all the time and just sort of going crazy when he is on the field, that it makes it a little bit easier to to say that he's a sell. Because his teammates, Evans and Godwin, are at an 89% and 93% routes Mm -hmm. run rate on the season. So when the team is passing the ball, they for sure want those two guys on the field. And then it's like, okay, every, you know, two thirds of the time, Antonio Brown will be on the field and the other third of the time he just won't be. So I think though that's where you need to look at sort of the fantasy points over expectation and how to put that into context. The, on the flip side, the guy that's 
two guys that are breaking my heart are Calvin Ridley and yeah. Stephon Diggs. And <laughs> they are both very clearly way under fantasy points over expectation. So fantasy points under expectation. But again, their underlying metrics show that they're, they're on the field. They're still getting a ton of targets. The efficiency and the touchdown scoring just hasn't been there for them. So those have been two guys that I have aggressively been saying, buy low, buy low, their blow up spot is coming and I at least I hope it's coming like it it needs to happen at some point and I I hope that they they can get that efficiency in the future yeah I I love that you're bringing up the because a lot of people just go and see expected fantasy points and they see buy or sell right high and low yeah Uh, this guy's but I love that you tied it into what is the actual expectation though and this is what you see we talked about cream hunt earlier right he's out kicking his coverage but he's still the RB 15 in expected points. Like that is still supreme value. What yep. you paid and a valuable player on your team. Marquise Brown is another one of these guys in expected points. He's yeah, he's, he's running hot, but he also is extreme value from an expectation stance as well. Mike Williams as well. So I love that you brought that into it too. It's not just saying, Oh, Jamar chase has scored 30 more points than he should have. I need to sell him before that comes back to earth. No, look at also the usage as well as yeah. these players are getting in the expectation. So I love that. Uh, one thing I always ask every guest on the show is uh, to give me one player you're holding that you think could still potentially be a, a league winner. Or you just don't want anyone else to have him. It's just a guy that if you know, he's available, uh, you just, you believe in and you want to hold on your roster still at this point. So for me, and I struggled to think of this and I was trying to think of someone who was a little bit less rostered and that's Ramondre Stevenson. And we're now four weeks plus removed from the fumble in the first game but the Patriots running back depth chart is just falling apart. I don't really believe in Brad Brandon Bolden or JJ Taylor as guys who could command a large share of the running back opportunities. He almost had, I think he had a touchdown call back this past week as well. So he saw, I, I don't know if I'd consider him being a league winner, but for a lot of the teams that are, you know, zero running back teams that are looking for running back production He's a guy that I think things will start to turn around in his favor. Just he's got 11 carries last week. So hopefully he continues to, to get more opportunities and can, can work into that offense a little bit more. Yeah. I I love that call. You know, we've seen David Harris. He, he did fumble again, you know, last week and started to pick up a, a, a couple more injuries too to open the door. Like you said, this is the Brandon Bolden as the pass catching role is something that I've had a really tough time to come around on. Uh, the, the guy that's running all these routes in this offense and being the James White replacement. Because uh, I mean, I would have thought for sure it'd just be JJ Taylor, but there was initial talks that Stevenson was going to be more of like a Rex. Burkheadian type guy, like a kind of yeah. a duel, like he was going to get carries and be involved in the pass game because he has pass catching chops for as big of big as the back he is. So we'll see if some of that can kind of, you know, kind of gain some steam here moving forward because it's still, we still don't have a lot of clarity. I mean, I still think the door is open and Damian Harris is open enough of the door now to kind of them to really do some things. We've already seen with Johnny Smith, they will act. Uh, this team will act. Uh, they're not going to just sit yeah. and ramrod one kind of, you know, approach here. They're trying to get wins. And they're trying to figure out what this offense actually is under Mac Jones. Uh, and I think that they're starting to figure out that they want to be more of an 11 personnel team instead of a 12 personnel team. We'll see if that keeps moving forward uh, because they've been a lot more successful 
uh, from a success rate and yards per play stance out of 11 personnel. And I think they want to open things up for Mac Jones more than they have, but we'll, we'll see what happens. It hasn't really come together yet. It's so early in Mac Jones's career. Uh, so we'll bring this thing home with everyone's uh, favorite and least favorite segment of the show starts and sneaks there. So it's for me and the guests. Uh, take a player that is outside of the industry consensus rankings uh, at the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end position. We kind of plant our flag uh, for a player that may maybe is good in DFS. Maybe you're, now that we actually are in bye weeks, you have to make a lineup decision and you're on the fence about a player. Uh, last week, uh, my guest was Jacob Sanderson at quarterback. I had Joe Burrow. He had Trevor Lawrence. Two strong hits there. Uh, we both doubled down on Michael Carter, and we got lucky with a luck box touchdown. If you flexed him, uh, we'll take it. Uh, our wide receivers were dreadful. Mine didn't even end up playing by the time we got to Sunday and Devontae Parker. Uh, and Jacob had Cole Beasley, who has really kind of gone – disappeared the last two weeks after he's had, he had a pair of 13 target games early in the season. I had Zach Ertz. Looked like I might be a week early on that. And uh, Jacob had Hunter Henry who got in the paint and like said, has pushed John who spouts overall pretty, it's a pretty successful week for throwing these darts. Uh, so I'll start with you, Sam, who do you got at the quarterback position uh, outside of the industry top 12 that you believe is either undervalued or could be a streamer or could be a DFS stacking guy, wherever you want to take it. So, I, start, I was looking at the top 12 this week and I'm like, I was wondering like who I would even take out of the top 12 to, to put That's this the guy problem in, with but... streaming quarterbacks this year is that there are like 10 guys, not maybe not 10, I'm probably extending it, but there are at least seven to eight guys that like you just are riding every week. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not <laughs> typically what, right. you know, we've always seen in, in seasons past, but the guy I'm going to go with is Trevor Lawrence, who has not had a great start to the season passing the ball, but he's starting to unlock some of the rushing potential that he has. He has at least six carries in each of the last three games and at least 20 yards in his last four games. He ranks sixth among quarterbacks with 14 designed run plays on the season, which again, this is all really good because the passing production hasn't quite been there. Just his first game was the only game he's been over 300 yards passing. And they, they obviously lost DJ Chark, one of their their better weapons, but I think I think we're at the point now where they they play the Dolphins this week, who have underperformed defensively, and I think he can can have one of those those blow up games certainly. I like that. Yeah, I love that they're starting to use Lawrence Lakes. He had a second near rushing touchdown that game where it was called touchdown. He was short and it came back. Yeah. Uh, so we're getting there. I, I joke because Jacob picked Lawrence last week. I. One of my locks of the season was Trevor Lawrence over three and a half rushing touchdowns where it was at books this year. And he, he didn't run at all the first couple of years. I was like, oh my goodness, what a, yeah. did I like, did I just misread this? Totally? And now it's, they're starting to use it. So I feel a little better about yeah. that. Uh, I'm going to go with Carson Wentz uh, and not just from a point chasing mode of, of Monday night. It's that if you look at Carson Wentz now, he's actually had 17 or more fantasy points in every game, but one. And it was the game where he really wasn't even supposed to play. Uh, with the two the two ankle injuries, the ankles, the plural, uh, against the Titans. Um, the, the, the Texans are giving up a lot of quarterback points because, you know, teams don't have to really continue to throw on them. Uh, 
but they're still 22nd in completion rate allowed, 24th in yards allowed for pass attempts, 16th in yards per completion allowed to opposing quarterbacks. Uh, and you've got this baseline of like not just force wins. He's actually been usable. I think he's just a little bit too low. I think he outscores Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, all guys that the industry have ranked over him. I actually think he outscores uh, Sam Darnold too, uh, now that Sam Darnold's rushing touchdowns uh, have See, maybe we're maybe it was only one game. I can't say we're not we're past them, but you know, the Sam Darnold rushing explosion uh has been removed from things. So I will we'll, we'll move on to the not the, the worst position because tight end's always the worst, but now that we're in the bye weeks, though, picking some running backs is pretty gross out of the top 24. Yeah. So what do you got for us? So I was originally <laughs> gonna say Kenny Gainwell, but I believe this podcast comes out on, on Fridays. Fridays. Yeah, so, so unfortunate. Uh, but you can we'll you can retro that. retroactively claim him still with another uh, guy. <laughs> can we edit that part out if he, he has a bad game? Um no, we'll leave but that. The, the the guy that I'm actually gonna go with, and he's ranked 25th. So I'm cutting corners a little bit here, but it's Miles Gaskin who had a, a huge game this past week. He had 12 high value touches on the week, which was, which led the league in week five, but everyone was so confused after he had a season low 23% snaps in week four, he jumped back up to 69% in week five. And the week four was, looks like it was more the exception to the rule. He's had double digit opportunities in every game again, except that week four. Meanwhile, Malcolm Brown, nor, Savan Ahmed have recorded more than nine opportunities in a single game. So they're playing the Jaguars, like I mentioned before. So a a little mini correlation here with, with Lawrence and Gaskin, but I think he's clearly the best pass catching running back in that offense. I mentioned earlier that the dolphins are throwing the ball over expectation quite a bit. So I, I really like him this week and expect him to continue to go on the street that he's had. Yeah. I mean, if he doesn't have that week four game, I mean, he is rostered last week at DFS uh, right. because, you know, you already see you taught, you brought up Gainwell and, and it's uh, in the, the bucks, you know, the, just the amount of, of pressure they're bringing, they blitz at the highest rate in the NFL and they're giving up so many catches to running backs. We would have been on it if week four wouldn't have happened at least to a degree. Yeah. At least, but if like week four, when he ran, he didn't get to have any targets. He doesn't play any snaps really. That, that didn't happen. Cause I saw some people say like, well, we should have been on it. It's like, no, well, week four happened. You know, that, that's right. what, that's what threw everybody out. Uh, yeah. But this dolphin seemed that his, his usage has been a little shocking just because the team has struggled so much, but he does have five or more targets in every game, but yep. one. So like it, they, it still exists. Uh, just that week four, like really prevented us from the blow up week. And I know a lot the week four, not only from a DFS stance, people didn't have him in the run back, but also how many people benched him. I mean, yeah. in, in their season long leagues. So you probably missed out on the best Miles Gaskin game of the season, which is unfortunate. Uh, it's just, it's one of those just weird things that happened, but I do think that they, they need a guy like Miles Gaskin yeah. the rest of the way out. So um, I'm also cutting corners. I don't even feel good about this one. Uh, I think he's the RB 26. Now I haven't checked, but I'm just going to go with, hold my nose and go with Devonte Booker just from a sheer volume stance. And hopefully it turns into something. I mean, after Saquon Barkley left the game, he had 19 of 20 backfield touches uh, in a game that Gary Brightwell was still active. Uh, 
it, it's not a, a great matchup and they're 10 point, you know, dogs. So I don't feel really good about it all. It's strictly just from like a hold your nose volume stance. Uh, I wanted to try to make the case for Latavius Murray, but I just couldn't, couldn't even do it. And I chose the lesser of the two dusty running backs. It's strictly just playing volume and saying, if you need a hole, this guy's going to touch the football at the running back position. Yeah. And that's the only argument I can make right. for it. So I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not a bad argument either. Like it, that's, that's what we're looking for in fantasy football at the running backs position specifically. I was actually, when I was looking at the rankings, I was shocked to see him that low. I, I would have expected him to be in, in the top 20. So certainly a good, good pick on your end. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I saw some people say, well, you know, we dealt with Alex Collins last week. I mean, listen, if I was telling you going to Thursday night, Alex Collins was going to have 17 touches, you'd be all about it. It just didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just, it's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, but you know, I, there are a lot of teams that could use 17 running back touches and to see where the chips fall uh, out right. there in the fantasy world. All right. So wide receivers always usually get to talk about at least some fun players uh, in this area. Uh, they don't always hit, but uh, what do you got for wide receiver for us? So this is a guy who I had actually thought about using as the player that I'm I'm holding on as many teams as I can. It's Tim Patrick, who has been playing great, but nobody really seems to be paying attention to him. He's just been sort of a steady Eddie. He's mm-hmm. scored a dozen PPR points in all but one game this season. The Denver pass core is is falling apart at the seams, similar to the Giants, but he's maintained that consistency and production throughout all of that. So even when Judy, even when Hamler were in the lineup, he was producing. He's run a route on 83% of dropbacks this season, has a 17% target share and 18% air yards share. Denver had a positive pass rate over expectation for the first couple of weeks. They've fallen off a little bit since then, but I, I really love Tim Patrick. He's, I don't want to call him the one B to Cortland Sutton's one a, because I think Sutton is just athletically so much better than him, but Tim Patrick, I think deserves a little bit more respect than the community has given him. Tim Patrick's one of those guys that's like uh, your dad's favorite player, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, like, the, like when the Broncos have like a third and eight and they throw an incompletion, like your dad looks, she's like, should have went to Patrick there. He would have yeah. came through and made the play. He's, like, He's like, that hey. guy that probably all Broncos fans <laughs> know of. And it's like, oh, reliable Tim Patrick. Yep. Just Every time he guy. makes a play, just be expected. You know, he's like the the David Eckstein of uh, the, the Broncos. Yeah. Uh, you just, you respect it. <laughs> I love it though. So you said he he does just because he's consistently produced anytime he's been given an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh and he, he continues to produce. I'm going to give, I'm going to go to uh, an, an eye roller uh, so far. No one's going to play him still, but I'm going to go with Robbie Anderson. Um, you know, last week caught just two of seven targets. It's been the story of the season. He, he hasn't finished higher than wide receiver 43 in a game yet this season, but he has had 28% of team targets and 21% of team targets the past two games after target shares of what, 9%, 17%, and 6% opening three weeks. The problem is they just, the connection hasn't been there between him and Sam Darnold. Uh, just 46% of his targets have been deemed catchable. It's the lowest rate for all players that were 20 targets on the season. If there was a week for one of these targets to hit, it would be against the Vikings who are 24th in yards per target allowed to wide receivers, 23rd in touchdown rate allowed to position. The opportunities have been there for Avi Anderson to at least warrant a consideration still in this bye weeks, your flex, maybe even in a DFS stack, a run back. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
I'm just going to do it. I know nobody wants to hear Robbie Anderson be brought up at this point, but I'm, I'm going back to the well. It's, <laughs> it's so interesting. It's been so fascinating to see the roles of DJ Moore and mm-hmm. Robbie Anderson just completely flip and sort of be what we expected going into last season and his average depth of target just shooting up back to what it had been in the past, what it was when he was with the Jets with Sam Darnold. And it's, I, I think he's one of those, one of those players like we talked about before, where he's underperforming relative to expectation. And I'm not going out and trying to acquire him in every single league, but if I do have him on a team, I'm I'm still holding out hope because there is there are plenty of reasons to expect that things will turn around. All right, let's bring it home here with the worst position, uh, which isn't even good. Like, I, we could cut this off at tight end five and still pick bad players. Uh, but I do think there is a freebie out there. We'll see if you take it. Uh, I'm wondering if that freebie is Ricky Seals Jones. <laughs> yeah, you're not uh, in your head. We, we will double down on Ricky Seals Jones. So he ran around on 88% of dropbacks last week. He was second on the team in targets in week five with eight. They play the Chiefs. So they're probably going to have to throw the ball a ton. And that's where my, where my argument ends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had three end zone targets. Yeah. Uh, we like that. He had a 30 yard reception called back to uh, due to penalty. And then the chiefs actually, not only are they an equal opportunity defense uh, it's, it's to tight ends as well. League high yeah. 12.3 yards per target to opposing tight ends and opposing tight ends have caught 82% of their t- intended targets against them, which is also 31st in the league. I mean, we've long attacked the chiefs with, backs and tight ends because their linebackers are so bad and that still hasn't changed i was shocked to see him not ranked in the industry top 12 uh and maybe it changes because i mean i would play him over tyler higby for sure i would definitely play him over mike gusecki i would play him over hunter Hergie. that's not a knock i think gusecki's been really good yeah. uh but i would i would have ricky i have ricky Seals jones a lot higher here's a question if you had tj hawkinson or ricky seals jones who would you start this week I'd still probably lean Hawkinson. I know it hasn't been great the past couple of games, but they just lost Quintess Cephas. And I think the Bengals are going to be able to put the pressure on them enough to, to pass the ball. Not that it won't be for, for Washington, but I, I think there are a few more outs in the, the Washington offense than, there are in the Detroit offense, but that's, it sucks that that's a question this week. It, it is. That's the way we there. Uh, you know, it's kind of, I get a lot of Hawkinson questions now with Duke's, you know, everyone thought we were going to get that elite season two weeks in, and now we've had three down weeks and it could just be variants, but also, you know, ankle injury and Jared Goff uh, is actually the Jared Goff. We thought he was, uh, you know, Jared Goff has really struggled uh, these past three weeks. So it's, it's all kind of snowballing on Hawkinson here to start the season. Uh, yeah. I, I think that one's, that one's tough. It, it'd be interesting. I think it would just depend on what I was chasing on my roster. Cause I think Hawkinson's floor is still better. Um, but that's it, man. That's it. We'll double down on, on Ricky seals Jones and he's going to be a popular DFS play, especially on DraftKings this week at three K. Uh, yeah. So listen, that brings it home, Sam, you're excellent. Tell the people where they can find you, where they can find more of your work and hear more of you. Yeah, so thanks for having me on. It's been it's been a really fun experience. You can you can follow me on Twitter at Sam Hoppen. That's H O P P E N. Um, like you mentioned, I do a lot of stuff for four for four. I do my 
my hop into conclusions article, which comes out every Wednesday night, do a player prop article for them every week on Friday as well. And have a lot of great betting tools as well that uh, I've had a, a large part in building do stat chasing for the ship chasing guys every Tuesday afternoon. And then the couple of, of graphics over at establish the run as well. So uh, like I said, truly been a joy and a pleasure to, to come on the pod today, Rich. Oh, listen, it's a pleasure. It's all mine. You carried us. Uh, I loved having you on. We'll do it again. We'll definitely run it back sometime. Uh, that's going to put a bow on everything for week six. Hope everyone hits those cash lines. Uh, wins their games this week and good luck to everybody. We'll be back in week seven.